our series of table conversations. And um, the purpose of our table conversation, as much as I love physical food, is not about the eating, but the opportunity that eating together creates for people to have conversations. It develops some intimacy and some opportunities to talk about a whole range of things, um, more so than if we're just passing in the street or, or something like that. And in fact, we've been gaining because we've been looking at some of the table conversations that Jesus has had. And today we're looking in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 14, and um, of a particular um, conversation that Jesus had at a meal table. And the, um, the theme of it today is the meal of humility. But before I start, let me give you some, for some of you, ancient history. Um, when I was in the 1970s, I was an undergraduate at uni. And uni in those days was very different. You've got to think pre-computers, pre-close-circuit um, television, pre-ID, you know, all sorts of things. And one of the things that was interesting was that mainly they examined you by having major exams at the end of the year or the end of the semester. And at University of Queensland, they used to hire the biggest possible halls that they could find, like Cloudland um, Ballroom or the, um, the um, Exhibition Ground um, Wool Pavilion or Main Hall at University. And you've got to imagine that what we used to do was go in and there'd be hundreds of people sitting at individual desks writing their exam papers. That's just background, because I want to tell you a story may or may not be true, but it's, it's good for my purpose, about a, an exam that I heard about where there are all these people writing furiously and the professor is at the front and at the end of the time, the professor says, time's up, finish writing, come and hand in your paper. And so everybody was doing the right thing except that there was one person up the back who just continued to write furiously. The professor thought he maybe had hard of hearing, so he said, um, listen, um, you've got to finish work and hand your paper in. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, he was still writing. The professor was getting really upset, and after 15 minutes, this person brought up his papers, came down to hand them in, and the professor said, what do you think you're doing? You can't just take an extra 15 minutes. To which the student replied, but do you know who I am? And the professor says, I don't care who you are um, because this is not right. You can't have 15 minutes more than anybody else. And the fellow raised himself and says, but do you know who I am? And the professor says, I've never seen you. I don't have a clue who you are. At which point the person picked up the pile of papers, stuck his paper in the middle and walked off in a hurry so that um, the professor would have no idea which paper was that of the late student. Now, that's nothing to do with my sermon except that little phrase, do you know who I am? <laughs> oh, no, that's not, a, that's not a rhetorical question. And when you get to my age, sometimes you have to ask yourself that question, I know. But you know what? It is something that people use as they live life. They have this sense of thinking, do you know who I am? I'm somebody who's important. I want people to think of me as being very special and important. Um, and so we have Jesus having a meal with people who, who really wanted everybody else to know who they were, to know that they were important. And um, Jesus uses this opportunity to teach about humility. One other entry point is this, and that is that humility is a major thing in the Bible. 
Um, when you talk about topics and things that Jesus and the writers of the New Testament in particular write about, humility is mentioned in so many different places. Paul wrote in Romans 12:3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Jesus was at great lengths to teach his followers that they needed to be humble. And there's one famous story in Mark 10, verse 35 to 45, where there was a bit of a squabble amongst the disciples. And there were two brothers, so I think their mother might have had something to do with this as well, but there were two brothers, James and John, and they were wanting to be at Jesus' right hand and left hand at the table because that signified that in God's kingdom or Jesus' kingdom that they were in the superior positions. And so they decided that that's what they wanted. So they asked Jesus, can we have one at the right and one at the left when you come into your kingdom? And you know what? The other disciples weren't very happy about it. And Jesus took the opportunity to teach them about the kingdom principle of humility. And he said these words in verse 42 of Mark 10. You know that those regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. See, this matter of humility, this morning as we sit around the table and listen to Jesus, is really important. And it goes on and it applies to all of those who follow him. Um, the Apostle Paul, for example, um, said very strongly about our attitude to humility. He says this, to the, the readers of his letter, but to us as well. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is a key teaching of Scripture. But the passage that we're now going to look at, it's a rather interesting context in which Jesus is going to be talking about humility. And so our, our text is Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. I'm just going to process it through systematically, but um, verse by verse. And I want to start with verse 1. It says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. See, what's amazing about this context is that Jesus wasn't invited to have um, a meal with the Pharisees because they liked him. The Pharisees were that group of religious people or that party in Israel at Jesus' time 
who, who actually thought that they were the people who should know who they were. They were a group of people who thought that they could earn um, recognition by God because they would keep the law to the utmost letter. They were people who not only thought they had influence, but they tried to exert it any way they could. And when Jesus came teaching his gospel, when Jesus came talking about humility, for example, um, when Jesus came and started to um, do things because of his compassion for other people, the Pharisees were put offside. And so when they invited Jesus to a meal and to this meal, you've got to think of it as being a bit of a social trap, that they were trying to set him up. They were trying to get evidence to show that he was breaking the law and therefore should be rejected by the people. And so we read that he was being observed. And then we find um, this, the, sorry, let me just go back and say, the Pharisees were famous for having this better than thou attitude. And Jesus um, in Luke 18, 9 to 14, gave a, an example of just what these people were like. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers and adulterers. I don't know if he was pointing to people as he was saying this. Or even like this tax collector, I think he was pointing, um, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves would be exalted. Now, this is the question that I've been wrestling with over the last week or so. If Jesus knew what these people were like, these Pharisees, why did he accept the invitation to have a meal with them? If he thought that they were going to try and catch him out and bring harm to him, why did he go and have meal with the Pharisee and all of his compatriots who were also there? Ultimately, Jesus knew that the Pharisees would be instrumental to leading up to his death, his death on a cross, that they were going to be the protagonists, if you like, against God establishing his kingdom. But do you know why I think Jesus went? Jesus loved the Pharisees, just like he loved the tax collectors and the sinners and the people who were unwell and the people who were in difficulty. And I think that Jesus was prepared to go and have the meals with the Pharisees because he actually wanted to provide the opportunity to talk to them so that maybe they might understand what his purpose and his mission was. And so here we've got um, Jesus having this meal with the Pharisees. I'll tell you what, one aside, a meal table is a great place for serious conversation. Um, in my home group um, that I'm a member of, 
on Tuesday night, one of the couples in the group was telling us that when they used to run young adult life groups, they said that you could actually tell the difference when you had a table in the middle of the conversation and when you didn't. You put a table out and people would open up and talk. So the fact that we're having meals together is a great opportunity for conversation. Think about it from very practical points of view. Um, when you're sitting and reclining, you're in a much more passive position than an aggressive position. It's harder to get really upset and uptight when you're sitting down and relaxed. Um, tables provide social distancing, isn't it? So you've actually got more social distance. You're not right in front of somebody's face as you talk. And it also decreases the real or perceived threat that you might have from somebody else who might have an opinion different to you. And, and accepting hospitality, the very act brings with it a politeness and, and what's manners in a, in a table. And so here is Jesus who out in the marketplace, the Pharisees are highly antagonistic, but here at the table, maybe there is an opportunity to stop and to listen. So let's, let's, let's put ourselves at the table and see what we can make of it. Luke 14, verse 2. The first thing I want you to know is that this meal provided an opportunity for a sensitive issue to be raised. There in front of him, that's Jesus, was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? They still said nothing. So here is Jesus confronting the issue. So the issue for them is, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? And so Jesus is actually talking to them about what their laws and what, um, what is said in the scriptures about healing. Isn't it interesting he asks about if your um, child falls in a well or even an ox, you wonder about whether they had more value on the ox than the child because that seemed to um, bring up that idea. But each time they remain silent. This person who came with the abnormal swellings was not the sort of person you would expect to be invited to a meal at the Pharisee's house. You know, it's clear to me that he was a plant. He was brought there to test Jesus rather than be a recipient of the invitation to come. And so here is this tension. They're watching Jesus. It's, what's he going to do? Is he going to heal this person or not? And so rather than just healing him, he engages them in the conversation. And they remain silent. They don't have an answer to that. And so without objection, so to speak, um, what happens is that Jesus goes on and heals the, the, the sick man. Um, why do I think he was a plant? Well, I'll tell you what. If he was a dinner guest, then why would he leave before the meal was served? Jesus healed him and he didn't say, oh, this is great. Now I'm still an invited guest here. Let's carry on. No, he left immediately. And so the meal provided an opportunity to raise a sensitive issue. 
But when we go on with the story, we see that it's more than that. The meal provides an opportunity to address underlying attitudes that lie behind the sensitive issue. That is that Jesus now takes the opportunity to explore not just the head issues, you know, winning a point, winning an argument, but now he's moving to the heart and addressing the heart issues of what it is that they really believe. And so we keep reading in verse 7 onwards. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus chooses an example from everyday life experience. And in fact, it's very timely, isn't it? Because they're sitting around a meal and he's almost saying, and this is what I'm observing about the way that you Pharisees jockey for positions around the table. We sort of understand this situation Think about a a formal dinner. Think, for example, when you get invited to a wedding and you go to a wedding reception. There is a sense, isn't there, that people have their places that they sit. And when you go into a wedding reception, the, the front table is inevitably for the bride and the groom and for the attendance of the bride and the groom. Um, then normally the closest tables to them are who? Parents of the bride, immediate family, friends. There's a sense in which there's an appropriateness about where you would sit when you go to a wedding reception. Just imagine with me that you were at a wedding reception and somebody came in who was fairly much um, not very closely related to the bride and the groom or even the family. But when he walked in, he looked around and he thought, the best place to sit here will be at the head table, right in the middle, because look at all the advantages. You'll get um, served first. Everybody will see you. Um, And so this person goes over and sits down in the place where the bride and the groom is going to sit. What happens next? You imagine the awkwardness of somebody, it's normally the father or the bride who has to do this sort of thing, um, goes up and says, excuse me, You can't sit in the place of the bride and the groom, the honoured guests. You have to go and sit way back there. That's the sort of picture I get of what's happening here. You know, obviously it must have been a problem years ago because in our culture we've solved the problem, don't we? It's called place cards. Um, And so to make sure that people don't get too high and mighty or too lowly, we put place cards in and you know where you're supposed to sit. Um, although occasionally people have been known to swap where the place cards are located um, and that's probably something to do with this passage as well. I don't think in our passage they were using place cards. They were expected to know where they stood in society and Jesus is saying that you shouldn't think that you are more mighty or more highly respected than you are And so you should always use humility and sit in the lower place 
because if you sit in the lower place, it's actually a pride of honour when the host says, come and sit down here. But it's a thing of great embarrassment when you get shifted in the other direction. Jesus is trying to address their attitude of heart. And he says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But Jesus, you know, this conversation's getting deeper and deeper. It's gone from the head to the heart. And the last part of the passage, I think, goes to the, the hands, if you want, like the, the application. So Jesus isn't only saying, we've started with the issue, we've got to the underlying attitudes. He's now saying, how should this work out in your life? How should your attitudes of humility show itself out in real life? And so he says these words in verse 12 onwards. Then Jesus said to his hosts, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, Jesus was saying to them, it's not even enough to have an attitude of humility if you don't put it into practice. And so you need to be reaching out to those who can't repay you back. Um, I don't think this is actually saying never invite your brothers or sisters or family for a meal, um, but it's actually addressing the Pharisees who are going, there are a group of people who we would never invite, and Jesus is saying they're the very people who you should be inviting, not because they will raise your social status, but because um, in God's economy, the resurrection of the righteous, when Christ returns again, these are the people who will be rewarded because they have reached out to the needy, the lame, the weak. And you know, um, in church, we often talk about issues. And sometimes we even talk about the attitudes that we go through. But the real step for us as a church is to put it into practice, isn't it? To live out our lives in the light of God's teaching. Um, years ago, I, I heard a, an interesting story. You're probably onto me by now. I'm not sure whether my stories are true or not, but they make nice illustrations, so you just have to humour me. But I remember hearing a story um, about a US man, a man of colour, Afro-American origin, um, who, who lived in a town um, not long after the segregation and the political restrictions of, of people of colour and, and white people getting together were lifted. And this gentleman, he decided that God would have him to go and join one of the churches in the centre of his city, which had been a white church. But there should be no legal implement or impediment for him to become a member. So he went and he talked to the leaders. He said, I believe God wants me to come and join your church. Can I please become a member? To which the church started to say, well, you know, we've got a whole lot of processes that we have to do and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. We don't want to rush into anything. And so this gentleman tried week after week, month after month, to become a member of this church without any success until after about six months, he felt like he was defeated. He sat on the stairs of the church and he started crying. And as he was crying, he said it was like God came and sat down with him 
and put his arm around him and said, friend, I know you're crying, but you've only been trying to get into this church for six months. I've been trying to get into this church for decades and they won't let me in. Sometimes we talk the right things and sometimes we know what the attitudes are, but sometimes our practice doesn't reflect what we say we believe. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, um, this is about head, yep, engage in the head. It's about heart, but it's also about hands, how we live. How do you think Jesus' table conversation was received? Do you think he was popular? Do you think they all said, well, that's a really good point that you've made? I suspect it was fairly icy. I suspect, because there was no change of heart in the Pharisees in general, that um, he didn't actually win them over by his conversation. But that doesn't mean that there weren't people in that room who were influenced and affected by what Jesus said. It doesn't mean that there weren't some Pharisees who, when they heard the teaching of Jesus, when they were confronted with the truth of it, they opened up their hearts and accepted. And, and we read in, even in the New Testament of, you know, the Nicodemuses and the Joseph of Arimatheas, even the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who God could change their heart. I think that Jesus went to provide the opportunity for those people to respond to his truth. And so we come to um, ourselves. How do we apply the teaching of Jesus then to our 21st century? I think the same is true for us today as it was then. Um, when we talk about Jesus and the, the part he wants to play in our lives, I think we can get a hard reaction, but there are some who are open to the teachings of Jesus and the claim he has on their life. They are open to those table conversations. And so I thought just to, to wind up, I'd, I'd, I'd talk in terms of what Jesus did and ask us to think about, are there questions for us here? So in terms of raising a sensitive issue, Jesus raised a sensitive issue. And maybe he wants to raise that issue for us as well. Maybe it's an issue about caring for others. What type of people do we know who we can reach out and help, even if we're not going to get paid back for it? What is our heart of caring for people? And I don't think this is an issue about how we think other people should care for people. We do too much of that in the church. We have a great idea of what everybody else should do. This is a personal question for us. What should we do? Who is it that God's placed in our life along our path that we should be caring for? It raises an important attitude for us. And the attitude is, are we humble? It asks us whether we actually take pride to the point where we want people to know who we are, that we want to establish our importance, or whether we're prepared to humble ourselves, like the example of Jesus, and be a servant to others. Um, when we serve, Jesus says that when you take the lower place, then somebody will come and take you to a higher place. That's, that's perfectly suitable. That's perfectly okay. But our heart attitude should be one of service. And then what about the key issue in terms of relationships? How does it work out? Well, I think that what the passage is telling us is this, that there's no room for favouritism or partiality in the way that we relate to people. Do we subconsciously 
put people into categories and think about the people we'd like to meet with and the people that we wouldn't. Our whole idea of hospitality has been to share not only with those who are like us, but to reach out to those who are different to us as well and to share that heart and compassion for God's, for all people the way that God did. You know, this year um, we have our church focus and our church focus is on family. I think as I've read this passage, it reminds me that um, I think we're on the right track with our focus on family. This is what our focus statement is and I think you'll find that it lines up with what Jesus is teaching in the meal of humility. Becoming a church where everyone can find a home. A church where we know one another deeply and experience community no matter who we are. A church where we know one another deeply and share in each other's triumphs and tragedies. So this morning, it's like we've sat around the table where Jesus is at. We've been able to observe his interaction to the Pharisees. But Jesus' words are not just for the Pharisees, they're for us too in the place that we're in. And so may we pray that God will help us to be the people he calls us to be. A people of humility, a people who want to reach out and care for others, a people who is open to all. May we be the family that God wants us to be in Brackenridge and may the impact of that touch those around us. Let's pray together as the musicians come to prepare to sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, um, we can sometimes have an academic interest in reading the Bible and thinking about what it was like 2,000 plus years ago. And yet, Father, when we um, take some time to be still and open our hearts and our minds and offer our hands and feet to you, Father, your message continues to be the same. Father, this week, help us to put into practice the very things that you've been speaking to us through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.